Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, I have great news for you. Our partners at Bet Online they continue to get it done as the number one betting source for you. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, we have golf, horse racing, and everything heating up this Major League Baseball season as well. You'll get latest odds, team matchups, and game trends at BetOnline. Just log on today to BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device to get started. But listen up. Make sure you use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. That's B-L-E-A-V to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline.ag or your mobile device. Bet online. Get started today. Bet online is where the game starts. You know, it is that time of year in sports where it is all heating up, not just the weather, but the events. We're coming off the NFL draft. We have MLB. We've got the NHL and NBA playoffs. How about horse racing's Triple Crown and the PGA Championship? Just to name some of the major sporting events we'll see in the next few months and have seen the last several weeks. Every event presents opportunities for inspiration and controversy, as well as new heroes and comeback stories. Ever wonder how to get into sports journalism? Well, I started my career at St. Bonaventure University. I attended their campus long before online degrees were a thing. But with their online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism, you'll learn how to find and talk about the most compelling stories, no matter the sport, all from the comfort of home. An advisory committee of journalism school alums shaped this innovative program. Courses are taught by experienced professors and include master classes led by industry experts. As an SBU graduate, you join a network of fellow Bonnies, including the New York Post's Mike Baccaro and ESPN's Raina Banks. The online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism builds strong skills and ethical foundations for successful careers. Coursework emphasizes the importance of multimedia reporting and incisive storytelling. Program graduates are prepared to tell stories at the intersection of sports, gender, and race. Take the next step in your sports journalism career by contacting an enrollment advisor at sbujournalism.com. What's going on, everybody? Paul Bissonette here from the Spit and Chicklets podcast and now the TNT broadcast. I just want to give everybody a shout out and make sure you tune in to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter is back with you all over the major platforms. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We are brought to you by Stanley Law Offices, our title sponsor. Stanley Law Offices, together, they'll work to get you the maximum reward. For more, visit stanleylawoffices.com. And a tip of the cap, thank you as well to Camillus Golf Club, Liverpool Physical Therapy, Stumbling Monkey Brewing Company, and Courtney over at Maple Down Senior Living Community. Make sure you contact Courtney at caring.com and 315-400-9666. That's 315-400-9666. Our next guest has been one of the best in the business for decades and decades, and he has a brand new book out right now. You can buy it online where books are sold and your neighborhood bookstores. It's a story of victory, tragedy, and life after football. Gary Myers has written it. It's once a giant on that unbelievable 1986 Super Bowl championship team. And to all the legends, all the names, Phil Sims, Lawrence Taylor, on and on, Carl Banks, and let's bring in Gary right now. And you remember him from his uh, time through and through, right, with all the different media platforms, of course, uh, ex-Dallas Morning News, New York Daily News, HBO's NFL, uh, Inside the NFL, and much, much more. You can get him on Twitter, at Gary Myers, NY. Again, it's out right now, Once a Giant, 
a story of victory, tragedy, and life after football. The author is the great Gary Myers, at Gary Myers NY on Twitter. Hey, Gary, welcome. Thanks a lot, Mike. It's great to be on. So, you know, the 86 Giants and 86 Mets, you know, I have so many friends of mine who are fans of both teams. And a lot of times the common thing is after what, it's been 34 or so years, you know, 33, 34 years, a lot of people will say, I guess 35 now, people will say, oh, geez, you know, they should have won more. They should have won more. Fans always want that, right? The one-year blast. Do you feel that way at all about this Giants team? Well, first of all, your math isn't so good. It's 37 years. 37, yeah. (laughs) Should the Giants have won more? Yeah, I think what happened is they got all messed up by the strike in 1987. Um, It was looming and hanging over every training camp in the league in the summer of 87. The Giants got off to a really bad start before the strike, losing to the Bears and then the, the Cowboys and then the strike hit. And, you know, whether the oncoming strike had anything to do with losing those first two games, I don't know. I mean, they lost to the Bears in Chicago in a a matchup of the previous two Super Bowl champions, Mm -hmm. and that wasn't really a competitive game. I was at the game that they lost to the Cowboys uh, with the strike coming like at midnight that night, and it was a very eerie atmosphere at Giants Stadium that night. Everybody knew the players would be walking out after that game. So what happened then is that the Giants general manager, George Young, didn't want to insult his veteran players by recruiting um, replacement players, which is what the NFL did to try to break the strike. So we had the worst replacement team in the league. They were 0-3, so they passed the baton back to the regular team at 0-5. And... um, they did wind up at six and nine, so they played better after the strike. But you know, at zero and five, uh, nobody was coming back from that. What would have happened if it was just a regular season in nineteen eighty seven? Uh, I definitely think they would have made the playoffs, and you know, potentially could have repeated. But uh, the strike really messed them up. And you know, even prior to the days of free agency, no team returned the same the following year. Guys were a year older, some players retired, others got cut or traded. So by 1988, the team was pretty different from 1986. I mean, the core was still intact, but a lot of the depth and and uh, secondary type pieces were gone. And um, the Giants didn't win it again until 1990. So, you know, two and five years in five seasons is not bad. I think most teams would sign up for that. I certainly would as a Buffalo Bills fan. There's no doubt in that second one that they won with the Norwood kick, of course, in that great uh-huh. Super Bowl 25. Um, yeah, I, I was actually, Gary, to let you know, I was a pretty good math student and, 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 and remain pretty good at math, but two kids under the age of four, I'm starting to lose it mentally. All right, I'm just going to... All excuses, just gonna... excuses, come on. <laughs> so what, how would this team... I always think about the 90s Cowboys. I even think about MJ's Bulls. I think about the 86 Mets. I think about so many teams you know, trying to win today with all the craziness, all the social media, all the sports channels, all the talk radio, the overreaction Monday times 10, what it was in the 90s, 20, 30 times, you know, what it was in the 80s, 70s. How would this team have handled today in the climate we're in from a coverage standpoint? Wow, that's that's a really good question. Well, first of all, the access to the players, uh, except after games, 
it's pretty bad. It's very controlled by the teams. So you walk into a locker room now and you have 45 minutes and there's no chance in the world you'll see every player on the team during those 45 minutes because they're either hanging out, having lunch or in the trainer's room. And if there's four or five players worth talking to in the locker room, it's usually not the same time. So the media, um, it's like, I always say it's like the beehive effect. When you have little kids who play soccer and all they do is chase the ball, you don't really know how to play soccer yet because you're running after the ball. That's how it is in locker rooms now during the week that the media moves as a pack from one player to the other because there just aren't enough guys there to talk to. So that's, that's one way it's changed. So there's not as much coming out of the locker room anymore as there used to be because the one-on-one interviews, which is where all the good stuff, that's where I always got all my good stuff, those are pretty much gone because it's very hard to get one-on-ones. And then um, as far as the social media part of it, that's where players today could, could really – find themselves exposed because nothing happens now without somebody having a camera. And it used to be the daily news or the post would catch players going in and out of, you know, the hot spots in the city. But if they didn't have a photographer there, nobody would ever know. Now everybody has a camera no matter where you go. So if a player's hanging out and he's not hanging out with his wife or he's out four o'clock in the morning, there's a picture of it. And so you can only imagine those giant players who did like to party, just like the 86 Mets, the 86 Giants, were a pretty good group of partiers. Um, It would be really interesting to see what impact that would have had on their ability to, to win. Being in the biggest market in the country with so many temptations in New York City, 10 miles away. I mean, I, I imagine some of Lawrence Taylor's exploits would have been a little more publicized than they were in 1986. <laughs> you better believe it. Once a giant, a story of victory, tragedy, and life after football. It's out now. Gary Myers, the great Gary Myers, been at it for a long time. Of course, go get it online where books are sold and your neighborhood bookstore. Speaking of LT, I mean, as you know, Gary, when, when, when you sit on the, you know, the bar stool and chat, you know, water cooler and sports and, and, you know, you come up with, give me your Mount Rushmore of this or that, and you can create your own one. Uh, in any kind of way, of course. And if you if you ask somebody who's on your Mount Rushmore of the NFL, you know you couldn't you could include executives and head coaches and players. You could make it an all you know an all around NFL. You could do just executives. You could do just coaches. You could do just players. I think if you do just players, I think LT is on the Mount Rushmore. I think he changed the game, the way he rushed the passer. Now you look at the hybrid guys, the way people stand, the way people got you know guys get moved around, drawing of double and triple teams. His impact on the NFL. Can you dive deep into that? You covered LT. Do you agree with me? Take us through the Lawrence Taylor phenomenon. Well, I think that uh, there's no doubt he changed the game. I mean, now his position is called an edge rusher. Before, he was just an outside linebacker in a 3-4. And everybody, it's it's really been funny over the last however many years, 40-some-odd years since he came into the NFL, how many how many players have been described as, as the next LT? And there'll never be anybody else like him. Because his combination of size, he's 6'3", 245, which is pretty average now, but was pretty big back then for a linebacker. And his speed and quickness, which was just something the NFL had never seen before. So if you're talking about the Mount Rushmore of the NFL, and we're just talking about players, for me, it's um, 
it's it's Lawrence Taylor, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Jim Brown, and and maybe Reggie White. Uh, I'm, I'm Jerry Rice. Let's yeah. throw him in there too. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure I'm forgetting anybody there because those would be my guys. Um, but but Lawrence certainly, uh, in my opinion at least, is the best defensive player in NFL history, and you know his legacy is that he did change the way teams put together their pass rush. And it didn't have to be a down lineman uh, in a four, three, it could be somebody like Lawrence, you know, standing outside and, and, and trying to get the quarterback by, by beating the tackle. You know, one thing where he really changed it was initially teams tried to block him with uh, a running back <laughs> or if they put a tight end on that side, yeah. but initially it was definitely a running back. And then they tried using an offensive tackle. And I, I remember that uh, Bill Walsh, in a playoff game at the end of the 81 season, Lawrence's rookie year, that he had a, a guard named John Ayers who played left guard. And so he would have the left tackle block uh, Lawrence initially. And then if it got past him, instead of having to run over a running back, like I said, it used to only be a running back, uh, then it became a, a tackle and a running back, and then it became a tackle and a guard. So he'd have to get past two really big guys to get to the quarterback. But he still had the speed and quickness that he was he was still very effective. But I think a lot of teams, you know, ditched the idea of trying to block him with a running back uh, after his rookie year because they knew that just wasn't going to work. So he had a tremendous impact, you know, not only on the Giants winning two championships, but on really you know, setting the the blueprint for what that position could produce. So through the years, Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells, two of the greatest coaches of all time, how do you think they're similar? How do you think they're different? Wow. Um, well, I think Parcells, as this is no stop the presses moment, but he's much more personable and, um, had his own way of relating to the players and pushing their buttons. The best I've ever seen at knowing how to push the individual buttons of what got a guy motivated. He'd have to tell Taylor, you know, that uh, he was going to get his butt kicked on Sunday and not be able to get a sack because Irv Panky of the Rams had his number. Mm -hmm. And for Phil Sims, he'd yell at him a lot in practice. And Phil would be a nervous wreck going home at night because Parcells just was constantly on him. But I know other guys that he knew that couldn't really take it from him. Jim Burt was a constant sparring partner for him. But that he got the best out of his guys, you know, doing it that way. I think that um, Belichick was a much better X's and O's guy than Parcells. Not that Bill wasn't isn't good at that at all. Parcells, I mean. It's just that Belichick might be the best ever. And once he became settled in, in New England, um, I think he expanded his knowledge of the games of the offensive side. You know, a defensive coach should be a good offensive coach because you're always planning on how to stop the offenses. So you should really know how to construct an offense as well. And um, Belichick was very instrumental in the development of Brady, even though he had an offense. Charlie Weiss was the offensive coordinator for the early years. Uh, Belichick was very much involved in in Brady's 
developing into the greatest quarterback in NFL history. I think where he falls short sometimes, obviously, is in his communication skills. But I, I think that's more with the media than with the players. I think he gets his point across to the players. But when you, th- when you think about Parcells and Belichick on the same staff, uh, from 81 to 90, and then from 83 to 90 with Bill as the head coach, yeah. uh, that might be, I don't know, I guess you can make a case for Lombardi and Landry together with the Giants in the 50s, but neither one of them was the head coach. Lombardi was the offensive coordinator, and Landry was the defensive coordinator. So I, I think the Giants, actually, when you look at those two pairings, probably had in NFL history the best grouping of two coaches together on any one staff. But, you know, Belichick and, and Parcells together were tremendous. Yeah, no doubt about it. Phil Sims more underrated or more overrated? Oh, definitely underrated. Yeah. If Phil hadn't gotten hurt towards the end of the 90 season, and I believe it was against the Bills yep. um, when he broke his foot. Now, there's no telling if the Giants would have, won, when it would have went on to win the Super Bowl because Jeff Hotlet stopped I'm having trouble here talking. I'll start that again. Jeff Hostetler was very mobile. And um, in that San Francisco playoff game, that might have won the game for the Giants in the championship game. Giants won the game without scoring a touchdown. And then his, his mobility in the Super Bowl against the Bills really helped him out too. But if Phil had won that Super Bowl, giving him two, which would have included that 22 of 25 game against Denver, he'd, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't have to ask if he was underrated or overrated. Uh, losing out on that second Super Bowl, the opportunity to, to try to get there, and then not being able to, to get there in the last three years of his career, definitely cost him the Hall of Fame. I still think he's a Hall of Fame player. But I'm obviously in the minority on that because he hasn't really come close. Final question for you, Gary Myers. What do you hope people say about the book when they get done reading it? I didn't know that. I hope that's what they're saying when they read it, meaning that I gave them so many stories about players that they thought they knew a lot about that they say, I didn't know that after reading about Bavaro and Carson and Sims. And I have stories on every on everybody in that book that people will not have heard before. And that's the product of one having a good relationship with these players for many years so they trusted me. And two, spending every day for two years writing and re- researching and writing the book. Um, I think I produced something that really hasn't been done before in that we've, we've all talked about life after football and CTE and things of that nature. But to my knowledge, there hasn't been a book done yet that focuses on one team of players who are now in their 50s and 60s and how they've grown old together and the, the, the challenges and the issues that they face based on what playing football for a long time has done to their minds and their body. I think this book is really unique and, and people are going to really be shocked and use that word um, at some of the stories that they read. Absolutely incredible. You know the names, Phil Sims, Lawrence Taylor, Mark Bavaro, Harry Carson, Bill Belichick, and Bill Parcells, and many, many others. It, of course, is out Once a Giant, a Story of Victory, Tragedy, and Life After Football. The author is the great Gary Myers, a guy who for decades I followed 
and looked up to. He helped set the standard in journalism for me and, and many others across the board, uh, formerly, of course, of the New York Daily News and many other media platforms. And you can get him on Twitter, by the way, at Gary Myers NY. And for my New York City, New Jersey area listeners, there's a ton of other things uh, that you can see in his handle, uh, all the book signings uh, in and around the, uh, the New York, New Jersey area. So make sure you go see that as well. Uh, they're upcoming here in the, in the coming days. You know, Harry Carson, Leonard Marshall, uh, and others, Phil Sims. Uh, he'll be joining uh, as well with Gary Myers to go promote this book. You got to go get it. Nearby bookstores and uh, online where books are sold. Again, it is Once a Giant, a story of victory, tragedy, and life after football by the great Gary Myers. Gary, thank you so much. I've enjoyed uh, chatting with you through the years, and hopefully we can do it again soon, my man. Congratulations. Anytime. Thank you so much. The ML Sports Platter brought to you by CH Insurance in your corner every day, every way, your local agency for commercial and residential insurance. You can find out more at chinsurance.cc. That's chinsurance.cc. They are here 24-7 to answer questions and help with claims. Go visit them again online at chinsurance.cc. And a huge tip of the cap, thank you as well, to Rosie's Corner, Bonnet Sales and Service, Brewerton Ace Hardware, and Camillo's Golf Club. Make sure you pick up your membership today at Camillo's Golf Club. If you're in and around Central New York and even New York State, golfers like to travel, of course. Your 2024 membership is available now at Camillo's Golf Club. Hey, that place is awesome. 18 holes of championship golf, awesome food and drink before, during, and after your round as well. The ML Sports Platter, thanks for listening, and as I always tell you, enjoy the games. Nothing says tradition like baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and CH insurance. Hi, this is Joe Convertino Jr. Our tradition of exceeding customer expectations is second to none. We're committed to protecting your business and family. We partner with amazing carriers like Preferred Mutual and do whatever it takes to hit a home run for every client. CH Insurance, in your corner, every day, every way. Huge thanks to friends of the ML Sports Platter, the Swan and Whitaker families, Bob Lindsley, the Alonzo family, and Daryl Abert. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.